Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day. Brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Phone number here, 913-586-7798. Story came to us out of good housekeeping. And it was a really interesting look at something we've talked about over time about how kids learn to drive, who teaches them, and it's becoming more important to talk about just given the problems with distracted driving. Yes, and we have now, as you mentioned before the top of the hour, with all of these uh, school districts looking at cutting wherever they possibly can because we don't fund them anywhere near well enough, that what they're doing is they're cutting the driver ed programs. This is not great news because that puts the onus back on parents, a lot of whom are, well, not terribly good drivers on their own. And also, I mean, just, you know, people, their lives get get in the way. We've talked about this before. How many parents who are supposed to go out driving with their kids in long hours in order to get their license don't and just fake it? You know, yeah, we went out for an hour every night for a week when you really didn't do it because people's lives get in the way. Yeah, I think you mentioned something really important is that not every parent is a great driver. Yeah. And not every parent knows the rules of the road like they should. Sometimes you live in a different state than where you learn to drive. And some of those rules have changed since then. Or the rules are different from state to state. From just a basic education level, I, I think parents are good for pr helping kids practice what they have already been taught in school. I think that reinforcement time and hours on the road is really that is priceless that experience time yeah but to be the ones teaching kids how to drive number one not every parent's a great teacher you know not every parent is patient and and can do it that way i forget sometimes we live on a state line and i forget sometimes whether i can turn left from a one-way to a one-way yeah. in some areas you know i was just about to bring that up because you talk about laws inside a state being different from other states but keep in mind, the only place in the state of Missouri where you can do that left on left onto a one-way street is Kansas City, Missouri. That's it. You try that in St. Louis, you get a ticket. I didn't even know that. Yeah. I see people do it here, and I'm like, oh, can I do that everywhere then? And But I... Nope. Sometimes I do, and sometimes I don't. So how do we feel about parents, and I think I'm talking to you parents, how do you feel about more of the responsibility being on you to teach your kids how to drive? And I feel like if we're going to go this direction with it, then parents aren't going to like it. But I feel like the state needs to put some kind of um, accountability more on parents, like make parents pass the written test and driver's test <laughs> before you teach your kids how to drive. Yeah, which presumably we already did, but it was years ago and, and, and people get into bad habits. And so, yeah, going out, I wonder how many people now, if they had to go out at age 30 or 35 or 40 and retake the actual test where you have somebody grading you sitting in the passenger seat, how many of us would be able to pass? Yeah, like I think there's a difference between, I need, I need a good adjective for it, but like being a decent driver and driving the way that you are supposed to drive. Like, how many car lengths behind do you stay? 
and what's the rule going through a light? I mean, I think most people can say you're a decent driver, although I'd love to know how you define that. But what's, in terms of the rules of the road and the way that you're supposed to do it, what percentage of people actually still, who keeps their hands at 10 and 2? You know, the the stuff that we were taught how to do. Yeah. And I think that's the problem is that everybody thinks I'm I'm a great driver. Everybody else is terrible, but I'm an awesome Mm -hmm. driver. See, I got lucky. Did you have driver ed when you were in school? We did. Yeah. It was a complicated way that they that they had to figure it out. And I don't know how they figured out the timing and stuff, but most people did it. You uh, it was nine plus nine is 18. It was 18 weeks. So it was two. It was two two quarters. The first quarter the two quarters that were closest to when you turned 16, the first you did driver's ed, like in the classroom. And then the second nine weeks was behind the wheel. And they basically took you out of PE two days a week or something out in the practice car that had the, the brake on the passenger side. And they took you out (laughs) the 20 year old Buick Somerset. (laughs) Yeah. Mine timed out perfectly. My birthday's in January. And so it was the first part of my sophomore year. So we finished in December and I was out getting my test get my license right away. So I went to private school. We didn't have it. There, there just wasn't any. There was no opportunity to take driver's ed, so uh, it was up to it was up to my parents. Now, I got lucky in the fact that starting, I mean, when I was a little kid, when I was like 5 or 6 years old, dad would always tell me things about driving. Like something would mm-hmm. come up and he'd take the opportunity and say, "Now, you see what I just did there? This is why, and this is something you're going to have to watch out for when you get old enough to drive." And did that for 10 years or better before I ever got behind the wheel. He was very conscientious about that stuff because he had lost friends in traffic accidents and didn't want to lose me. I didn't have any of that. And we'll get to your calls here in a second. But I was lucky to have um, my dad did 90 percent of the driving with me when it was, you know, when I needed the practice. And my dad was just so incredibly patient and just really understood the way that I learned and understood that he made me a little bit nervous and that sometimes you just gotta let me do it yeah. and let me practice it and don't say anything. Not everybody has that kind of parent that is just a really good teacher that way. Yeah, exactly. And so we uh, the more this goes to the parents, how comfortable are you with that? We'll go to uh, Kendale, who's calling in from KCMO and find out. Hey, Kendale. Hey, how you doing? Good morning. Same back. Okay, so uh, my school never had um, the driver's ed program. My mom, however, taught me how to drive. Now, I will tell y'all, I'm a very goofy individual, so I was always goofy as a kid. So her time and future was we always playing too much and we would never, you know, drive. But she also drove with both feet. And so when I started, you know, I seen it, and I was like, well, that might not be comfortable for me, so I tried it. But then after a while, it was just like, what do you learn new? It's kind of like a job experience is, you know, for me, it's hands-on. So if you see somebody doing something wrong, you know, you just read up and just make sure you don't do it as bad as they did it. Yeah. And that's how I took it. And I feel like my kids, I got five of them, so I'm pretty sure all of them are going to give me gray hairs. But <laughs> that's just something that I feel like I need to do. Right. Well, hey, thank you. Thanks very much for the call. That um, See, that I think is where we're going to be left. And it opens up that question about how much – of your own driving skill dates back to what you were taught versus Mm -hmm. just experience. I mean, driving for a lot of us is what you learn by doing it. Yeah. And, and where you grew up learning how to do it. You know, I grew up um, in the country and was never taught how to parallel park. 
if I had not dated a guy that lived in downtown Chicago and had to learn and lived on the plaza, quite frankly, and traveled as much, I never would have learned how to do it. And I wouldn't be able to teach a kid how. Yeah. If I had not had somebody, my dad's best friend, uh, live by O'Hare Airport and taught me how to drive in the city when I was 16, because there are there are skills to that. There are awareness things. If, if there had not been a person to teach me how to do that, I wouldn't be as confident as I am now. What if you grow up in the country and you're teaching your kids how to do it out in the country and someday they want to live in a bigger city? Yeah, you're right. And that, I mean, there are still skills. And we think about how much easier driving is than it used to be. I mean, just operating a motor vehicle because there's so much stuff now that the car does for you. But when I learned, the first car that I had that was all mine, which is a story in and of itself, but the first one that I had that was my car, was a stick shift and dad took, too. dad took me out to a big parking lot. And he was like, we're going to learn how to feather a clutch today. <laughs> yep. So that's what we did. And we took that hour or so to, to get really, really good at it. And then he said, okay, now you're okay. Now you can hold a car on a hill and all of that stuff uh, using the clutch. And, you know, but he knew it was because I was going to have to drive that thing. I better be good at it as a 16 year old, not have to, you know, just learn in the middle of an accident what I shouldn't have done. It's so funny. It was exactly the same for me. My dad um, had multiple, every car that he owned was a stick shift. And he was just that type where he said, I'm I, not that he wasn't going to let me get my license, but he really, really wanted me to learn how to drive a stick. And I was bad at it. Initially, I was scared yeah. of it. You know, it just freaked me out the idea of, of killing the clutch. And so we did the same thing. We just went out to a big empty gravel parking lot where I couldn't hit anything and there was nobody watching me, which is what I was worried about. And I just did it over and over and over until I was confident about it. And I'm so happy for that. I haven't needed to do it very often, but I always remember how. Was was yours a floor shifter? Like where, Versus, the, where, where the stick is on the transmission oh, hump? One of them was because he had this really big old pickup truck. And the, so one of them was on the floor. Uh, the other one was the Mustang GT. Yeah. <laughs> and that was not on the floor. That was like driving a semi. No, the uh, the one that I was driving was a three-speed on the steering column. Oh, wow. So, okay, oh, no. yeah, that was a blast, let me tell you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah not fun, but still, once you learn, it's, it is one of those things that you keep. I mean, I could step into one of those today and drive it. So I think the two of us are finding a lot of flaws in having parents be the ones that teach your kids how to drive. So if it's not parents and schools don't have driver's ed, how are kids learning to drive? What's the answer then if, unless parents are more in favor of it than we are, maybe you are, maybe this is not as big of a deal as we're thinking. And somebody uh, on the text line just brought up Johnny Rollins. Yeah. I mean, how many of those parents, especially if they have the money to be able to do it, are just going to pawn that off on a driving school, which by the way, is not a bad idea, especially yeah. if you're one of the ones who is not a good teacher, but it costs. So not everybody can. Right. And so would you rather pay a driving school? To me, that's something where that's worth it to pay a few extra fees for a school district to do it. Yeah. Yeah. We, that way it's consistent. We did that for one of our sons, the second oldest. We sent him to a driving school because he was one of the ones in very typical millennial fashion who didn't learn how to drive until he was 18. Had no interest wow. in it. Just didn't want to. And then finally got to the point where he had to. So that's what we did is we sent him to a driving school. Colin, can I put you on the spot? Because you're much younger than us. Where did you learn to drive? Uh, so my school in town growing up was small enough to where we learned it through the school. So my okay. PE teacher, whoever it was, was the instructor for driver's ed. And it was all regulated through the state, but we took it through uh, through the high school. Did your parents go with you at all? Did your parents do the 
was it like 60 hours we needed or something? Something like that. Yeah, ours <laughs> was like very much 40 to 60 okay. or something like that. My mom refused to drive with me growing up, so my dad was the one that, that took the brunt of everything. So, yeah, I was I went driving with him, and then I learned everything through driver's ed through the school. I uh, took I was uh, good friends with a couple that had a, a kid that was turning 16, and he went to school in the school where I was student teaching. I'm like, well, I'm a good teacher. I'll take him out. They wa- He wanted to practice and didn't want to go with mom and dad because yeah. they made him nervous. So I took him out in my car. And I mean, I think we've been on the road 10 minutes in a Best Buy parking lot. And in my car, he backed into a massive Chevy big SUV <laughs> thing that was like the size of a house. Oops. And that the guy that owned that SUV just went off on this kid that I was letting drive my car. And I, it was no big deal to me. Like, it wasn't that hard. It wasn't a new car that I had. I, I wouldn't have taken him out if I didn't, if I was worried about it. But that guy was such a jerk. And I'm like, you are teaching this kid now so many not good things about practicing driving. Yeah. So. And, there, and there is, I mean, there are so many different approaches to it. My mom's approach was to complain. <laughs> which, okay. Which was awesome. You know, anything I did, you're doing that wrong. Uh, yeah, that uh, <laughs> it didn't exactly go over terribly well. If you want in here, 913-586-7798. We'll get to more of your comments next on KMBZ. Phone number here, 913-586-7798. Um, it's just funny to see people's drive. I'm just laughing at the text. I wish I had a dollar for every time I heard my boy say, I know, when I was trying to teach them how to drive. because you can. T- we were all that kid. You're following eventually. too close. I know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Yes, exactly. Ugh. All right. I want to go to the story out of Indy100.com because this is a phrase that I have not heard yet that seems to annoy you. Money dys- dysmorphia yeah. is a tough one. Oh, wow. Yeah, and this one isn't going to make anybody very happy because I-, I think we're always looking for some kind of new term to hang on very old ideas. And this is really just a a fancied up version of keeping up with the Joneses. Um, What the case that they're making is that the reason why you have a bunch of young people, and when we say young, anywhere between like the first time that you're going to be independent, starting at like age 18 and going through like age 25, Mm -hmm. that are terrible at managing money. And what they're putting this off to is this idea of money dysmorphia, that somehow by sitting there and watching TikTok and Instagram and all of the rest of it, that young people are getting the idea that they should be able to summer in Ibiza and, you know, travel around the world and have these lavish lifestyles when they don't have any money. That that somehow there's this disconnect between your lifestyle and how much money you have in the bank. So you, they're getting this... Uh, this money dysmorphia, this idea that their lives are wrong because they can't just jet off to Spain whenever they want to. So we're blaming social media for this, of obviously. Um, yeah, and this feels like, a, you know, a, a keeping up with the Joneses kind of a thing where you feel like, yeah, this mentions loud budgeting, which is something that's coming up on TikTok a lot now, yeah. where you're just more open um, about, the money you're spending and where you're going with it. Yeah, and I mean, they surveyed them, and it's not lost on them. 59% of millennials and 48% of Gen Z admitted to being on their money goals. And, I mean, that's not a big number. When you realize that's 40%, and in one case, over 52% of Gen Z who aren't, who don't have any idea where their money is going to come from. They have no idea what a budget is. They don't know how to do it. 
and they don't care. They just want, want, want because everybody on Instagram is is having an awesome time. I want to go have an awesome time too. And the idea that you have to go out and earn that awesome time is kind of lost on them. So the problem with social media too, and I'll be honest that I feel this way a little bit um, and I have to kind of check myself on it. The problem with social media is that it doesn't show the whole picture. Of course. Right? It might show you, and even with your friends sometimes, we have to remember that social media gives us the best version of things most of the time. But it doesn't show you, like, yeah, you might have really good friends that just bought this awesome house. They might be six figures in debt that you don't have. (laughs) You know? You never know what's behind that picture and that story on social media. And you got to remind yourself of that, that it's not as, as simple as it looks. Sure. And just because you see somebody enjoying their week at Disney World doesn't mean they're not struggling for the rest of the year to try to pay for that trip to Disney World. That's that's the part that doesn't show up because every time you see one of your friends, they're doing something amazing. Well, yeah, but that's not all they do. Well, and here's and I'll and I'll just speak for myself here as somebody that travels a lot. And if you follow me or if, if you hear me talk about it, you probably think I'm making a half million a year. <laughs> yeah. But if you listen a little more closely or know the whole picture, it's because I budget and it's because I use points and miles and do all these other things. There's again, there's a lot more behind the story that you hear. Well, yeah, and and it's all about making choices, right? I mean, you you could either do what you do or you could live in a place five times bigger than the one you live in. For sure, your or have choice. five kids. Right, exactly. And, <laughs> you know? and your choice was, I want to live in a fairly small place and then go out and see the world. Awesome. Right. I mean, that's that, but that's budgeting. That's how you're supposed yeah. to do it. Right. Yeah, for some people, they would rather have the house. Right. Go for it. Yeah, I like my house. That <laughs> you know, me it's out. like, uh, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> but but I mean, there are reasons why we wanted the place that we want. And I don't go traveling around the world. That was right. the choice that, that we made, you know? Yep. Um, let's go to Justin in Sugar Creek. He's got something he wants to add in on this. Hey, Justin. Hey, how's it going? Going uh, well. I was um, listening to you guys, and my son is 22. And last month, he had a statement of the bank. And didn't know how much was deposited, didn't know how much he spent, and this is what you guys are talking about. Yes. They don't pay attention to their money, and they they have no idea what they're spending. A hundred percent. How Now, how do you try to get through to him? Hey, listen, these, these things are all connected. Well, we, my wife and I, we sat down with him, and we had his bills put out in front of him. And he made almost three times the amount that his bills were. <laughs> it just it just amazes me that he didn't he didn't understand or even pay attention to how much money was deposited in in his account. Yeah, and you you wonder how somebody that's making three times what their bills are can still have no money left at the end of the month. It's yes. like, what are you doing? Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. And they him and his girlfriend they go out to eat a lot. Um, they did just come back from, from a vacation, but it's still, he didn't have any idea of how much money was deposited in his checking account. It did that, that right there amazed me. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, keep, keep chipping away at it, Justin. You're, you're doing good work there, but yeah. How do you get through to somebody and try to convince them that there's a connection there that sure. I mean, if you save up every penny, more than you're spending on your bills for that big trip at the end of the year. You can probably afford that big trip at the end of the year, but you're not going to be able to go out every Friday and party and every Saturday and party and still do it. 
welcome to the real world where where at some point you have to tell yourself no. And and it feels that basic to me. Sometimes when we talk about this, it's I've, you know, I was just glancing at my Amazon cart, you know, where the three $200 human dog beds are sitting. Yep. I'm like, no, 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 no. You can't just, you can't just hit buy on everything in that cart. The, the money's magically got to come from somewhere, and that 600 bucks isn't just going to appear. Well, see, here's the problem. You can just hit buy on every single one Correct. of those. <laughs> but, but what that's going to do is it's going to send your budget into crash and burn mode, and it's so easy. Good Lord, is it easy to spend money now. Wow. And, it's, and you're right. I absolutely could. I am one person. There is no one else who is affected by what I do with my money, yep. which is good and bad. Um, I could... And it would take a while for it to catch up with me. I mean, I have some pretty high credit card limits. I could just keep going and going and going and carrying those balances over. And I don't know at what point you have you are forced to stop. Boy, if anybody's ever hit that point, if you've ever gotten in serious money trouble, what was the thing that reined it in? You know, is it $50,000 in credit card debt? I mean, what's the point at which you say, oh, my gosh, I have to stop? Yeah. Uh, yeah, what what made that decision for you? And for some of us, it was bankruptcy. <laughs> so, you know, these things were not invented a year ago. There's a reason why you know those systems are out there and those systems exist. So, I mean, it sounds like they're going through the same kinds of struggles that a lot of us went through with money, but they've got those two other factors out there that we didn't have. You can spend money 24 hours a day, seven days a week, a lot of it. It's very easy to do. You don't even have to leave the house to do it. And they've got social media out there telling them what they should want. 913-586-7798. We need to get to a break. We'll get to more of your comments. Still to come, more troubles with recruitment in the Navy. We'll tell you what they're doing to try to get more people to join coming up here on KMBZ. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day. Brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Bit of breaking news here out of Clinton, Missouri, and then we'll get back to your phone calls. Just give us uh, a second here because multiple media have this now. Uh, emergency responders are working to rescue a boy trapped inside a grain bin in Clinton, Missouri. Yeah, not not a good situation. Now, for the time being, what they're doing is they're cutting the top off of the grain bin. And they said that at this point, and this point would have been maybe an hour ago, um, that he is awake and oriented. In other words, he's not seeing any kind of decline. He's still able to breathe and he's conscious. So, but they said he was trapped about halfway down. 
Yeah. That, that's terrifying, but the effort is going on to rescue him right now, and there's a lot of emergency vehicles out there assisting the effort. I don't know why these always fascinate me, these grain bin stories. Um, just because they happen on a regular basis here. I always compare it to quicksand. How do you, you know, yeah. how do you quickly get somebody out of there? Either you need to get all the grain out as quickly as you can, or to their point, cut around the outside so it just flows out. Um, but the fact that they even said, what was the term used for his condition? Awake and oriented. The fact that they even said that and made the point to say that is interesting to me. So we will continue to follow it and uh, see what comes out of that. All right, moving on here uh, to the story out of the U.S. Navy. So the U.S. Navy is making a change in who it is going to accept as we continue to have recruitment troubles. Yeah, <laughs> they're once again lowering their standards. Um, why? I guess we can throw the question out there because the Navy has had more of these problems, it seems, than any other branch of the armed services over the last few years. The Army has struggled, and they've made some changes as well. So, I mean, it's not lost on us that they're, you know, they're, but they haven't seemingly struggled anywhere near the way the Navy has to try and get new recruits. Uh, the Army changed their slogan. They brought back Be All You Can Be, uh, and they changed kind of the tone of the recruiting commercials. But the Navy just has not kept up. So they're talking about things like the physical standards. They had already gone to the lowest passing scores on the on the Naval recruitment test. And they said anybody who gets even the lowest passing score is still going to be accepted into the Navy if that's what they want to do. Where do you go after that and say a failing grade is good enough to still join the Navy? I ask, should we be looking at the qualification test? Yeah, and changing the test. But even that, I mean, if you don't have enough people signing up to even take the test, right. how, how do you at this point get somebody who isn't thinking about the Navy and say, this is a viable career option for you? And it seems like really the only way to do it is to, to start doing a media blitz, doing an ad campaign blitz, and start really focusing on what the Navy can do for you after you serve. The Army did that same thing about 20 or 25 years ago, and it, and it was all about get into the Army now, then you can go to college via the GI Bill, and you can get all kinds of on-the-job training in special electronics and computers and all of this stuff, and you'll know more about that than anybody else does. Not only that, you'll have real-world experience to go along with it. That was very successful for the Army at the time. Can the Navy do the same kind of thing with flying drones and weapons systems and all of that stuff to try to get people in so that they can get a good job once they're out. Okay, I have several questions put out there about this. Um, one of my first thoughts was, is part of the problem, is the Navy the smallest of the four, the five? Coast Guard. Five? Coast Guard, okay. A part of me just wondered, is it because we have fewer of the generation that's older that were in the Navy? You know what I mean? Is it... We just have more people that were in the army that taught their kids. And so generation, generationally, you just have more generations of a family that went into the air force of the army. And because the Navy's smaller, you have fewer moms and dads that have kind of passed that on to your kids. Yeah, it could very well be. And it also, I think may uh, have something to do. I mean, it's worth at least bringing up the fact that you had so many people who were Navy recruits, ensigns and whatever, who ended up serving on a base in the middle of Iraq. Right. Part yeah. of me wonders, too, um, 
there has been a lot more publicity in the last, I'll just say, 10 years about the problems with VA healthcare. Yeah. And uh, and not just that, but just how we treat veterans after they get back, how we treat active duty military when they get out, but particularly the problems with the VA healthcare system. And we learn now how hard it is to get healthcare and how many flaws there are in that system. I wonder if that improved, if it would be more appealing. I also just wonder if the military is just not as appealing as it used. We just have a lot more options now for jobs for young people that's than we true. used to. Yeah, I mean, that competition does exist between the private sector and somebody, you know, right out of high school going into the Army or the Navy or the Marines or whatever. You're right. I think that's got a lot to do with it. And honestly, I think that 20 years in Iraq and Afghanistan didn't help. That if if that's what you, you know, if your image of joining, specifically for the Navy, if your image of joining the Navy is I'm going to be on a ship, I'm going to go see the world, I'll be serving on an aircraft carrier or whatever, and you end up at Fob Kalsu in the middle of the Iraqi desert, that that's a real blow to your expectations. And, yeah, I don't know, aside from people who were there, how many people understand how much Navy personnel was involved in that conflict and not on ships? You know, on dry land, on bases in the middle of I don't know if Afghanistan was the same way. I didn't go to Afghanistan. But, you know, certainly they were a heavy, heavy presence in Iraq. So it leaves me with a few questions. One is, if you have been in the military, how did you decide which branch to go into? If you've considered going into the military and decided not to, why didn't you? And I want to talk about the change in the... um uh, the bar here for a second. So for the first time, they are going to enlist individuals who did not graduate from high school or get a GED. Yeah. We concerned about that at all? Is there is there a level a level of judgment or a level of base knowledge that comes with having graduated from high school or gotten a GED that we feel like you should have in the Navy? <laughs> that you should have in the Navy? I think yeah. unequivocally, yes. Yeah, is this a requirement that they maybe shouldn't have dropped? But, right, what will it cost them if they do? That, uh, And I don't just mean cost them in terms of recruiting. If they drop that and say, okay, you don't need a GED anymore, you don't need a high school education anymore to go into the Navy, what are they going to have to do to adjust the expectations that they have of a new class of recruits, many of whom will not have graduated high school, what's that going to do to operational readiness in the Navy? And that's a question I have no idea what the answer is. 913-586-7798. Somebody said the younger generations are generally less less patriotic. Why do you think that? I don't know what you base that on, but... I don't either. I think that's an easy thing to accuse them of. Yeah. I, I also don't think going into the military necessarily means you're more patriotic than anybody else. I love America. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what you're Why talking didn't you about. Why did you join the military? Really? Thank Ooh, you. Baby. Yeah, really? yeah. How come you're not serving, Colin? Why aren't yeah. you out USA. there defending our USA. country? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I, I don't think there's an equation there. Uh, all right. Give us a few minutes here. I know phone lines are ringing. We'll uh, take a break. We'll get to your calls next in KMBZ. Taking your calls... Uh, why don't people want to join the Navy? What's the problem? Um, and the military in general, but the Navy specifically, uh, the Navy now is moving toward accepting recruits who do not have a GED or high school diploma. I, I have hesitation about that, and I'm not really sure why, but I do. Um, somebody on the text line just asked, basically saying, I'm 42, 
And after I, you know, get done with 20 years of my career, what about letting me join? Yeah. He or she said. I don't think that's a bad idea at all. And it may be something that they look at. I mean, they want 18 year olds that all the armed services do. That's mm-hmm. what they want is they want somebody that's fresh out of high school and ready to go. But I mean, if they can't find those people. It really, I mean, if if you get to that age and you haven't had any kind of a military career up till then, your only option is the reserves. So, I mean, it's out there, but that's not talking about a full-fledged military career either. Yeah, and we'd have to talk about the benefits then. Some of the benefits that are appealing to 20-year-olds about education after after you get out wouldn't be appealing for somebody who's 40 years old. Exactly. Let's go to Sharon in Olathe and see what she's thinking. Hello, Sharon. Actually, it's Shannon. Oh, I'm sorry, Shannon. Okay, that's okay. Um, I just wanted to first off let you guys know I am not in the military, but I'm a military mom and a military wife. Um, so don't have direct knowledge, but once removed, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, when you join the military, I, I'm totally okay with them not having a high school diploma because when you go, you have to take a test that's called the ASVAB test. Yeah, and it tests you in all different skills. And so they then place you in a job where you have the knowledge. So you have to test a certain score to get into a certain job. So they're not going to put you in a job that you don't know anything about. Here's, and that's absolutely accurate. Here's the thing, though, that they're looking at is that because the Navy, Navy has had these recruiting problems for years in a row, that they've already taken the requirement on that test. It's a 99-question test, and they've already taken the requirement for pass-fail down to 50 so you can get half of the questions or just over half of the questions right and still be accepted. And then you juxtapose that against, all right, you didn't finish high school either. <laughs> yeah, I mean, is it still a good idea when they've lowered that requirement down to just over half? I will tell you, like, since my daughter has enlisted, she's in the Air Force. Um, when she enlisted, she went through college. It paid for her school and everything. Mm-hmm. But she still takes classes that, give her college credit. So she's still getting educated. They're still educating you while you're there. Got it. Okay. Now, right. being an ex-education, I do encourage people to finish high school first. But <laughs> yeah. I, it's not like they're just going to quit learning. They're going to continue to teach people while they're there. Gotcha. All right, Sharon, thank you. Thanks very much for the call. Thanks um, so much for the call. Does that move the needle for you any, Jamie? Um, I don't know. You know, I know. I, she brought up the fact that, and, you know, I kind of referred to this earlier, too, the whole uh, the GI Bill and paying for college and all of that. I mean, that may be another place where they can just start hammering away in some yeah. kind of media campaign. Because, I mean, how many times a week do we talk about how how much college tuition has skyrocketed, how nobody can afford it, how kids are coming out of college with these massive debts because of their their tuition and books and everything else? And if the Navy can come out and say, yeah, you want to go to college and not have that experience, start in the Navy. Somebody just asked, what's the difference between the educational requirements and the physical requirements they've already dropped for members of the military? Where do you want to start? What do you mean, what's the difference? Uh, it's, yeah, I'm not sure I understand that question. Well, I mean, it's there's a vast difference between them. Um, they just mean different things. The physical requirements, like I ask this about police officers sometimes, too. I want police officers to be fit so that way if they need to run after a suspect or something, I don't like when physical requirements drop either. But I feel like there is judgment that comes with the educational requirements. There's some basic knowledge that comes from that. Definitely. Let's continue the conversation with John in Kansas City up next. Hey, John. Hey, 
Hey guys, how you doing? Doing well. Uh, I, I wanted to mention that I am a retired uh, Naval Chief. I retired in 2014. I joined straight out of high school and I took the ASVAB as Sharon mentioned. And I think she made some great points along with you guys. Um, one of the things for me was at the time when I joined, I wasn't particularly patriotic and I got a really high ASVAB score. The way I ended up taking the ASVAB was they told us, hey, it was our senior year and they came down like in October and said, hey, if you come take this test, we'll let you go the rest of the day. You can have the day off. Oh. So I took the test. <laughs> and, nice. and I got a 97 on the test, so it gave me options. And I was recruited heavily by all four branches at the time. I initially wanted to be a Marine, but I wanted to do something medical. So that's when the Navy recruiter came to me. The Marine Corps recruiter sent, sent me to the Navy recruiter and told me, I'll see you again. I had no clue what that meant at the time. So I ended up spending a majority of my career with the Marines as a field medical corpsman. Um, one of the things, John, you made an excellent point. I have two degrees that I got. I don't owe a dime. Yeah. When I got my second degree, I didn't even have to pay for, like, parking fees on campus. And I was a full-time student who was going to campus every day. I think that what the Navy needs to do is, like, to your point, is just push what, you know, college. I wasn't ready for college, even though I was accepted to some universities. I just wasn't ready to go back on a campus and go to school in that manner at age 18. I also wasn't very patriotic at 18. I just kind of wanted to get out of Kansas City and see the world. But that became appealing to me, and I, I learned patriotism through mentors in the Navy. So it, that's what caused me to stay for 22 years. Um, the thing that I disagree with Shannon is the only problem that I have with uh, lowering the requirements is high school is your biggest, at that age, is your biggest sense of accomplishment. So when you quit on that and then you're coming into a military setting where you do definitely have to accomplish things because sometimes those things can end up being life or death, you know, I'm not judging the, the young men and women who don't finish high school. There are reasons for that 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 are unique in every situation. Sure. But it is something that you got to take into consideration when you do take a recruit that has not finished high school or at least went back and gotten their GED. Well said. And that's really, mm -hmm. and that's, that's really all I want to say on the subject because I know I'm running long, and I, I'll let you guys have your thoughts after that. Thank you, you for uh, letting me get in. You got it. Thanks for your service, too, John. We appreciate that. I, I think you have said it better than we could. Uh, no doubt. And, I mean, keep in mind – this used to be the joke about about college that uh, you know how many people end up going into the field that they got a degree in. It's you <laughs> right. know it's fairly low, but uh, you know th that's why employers care that you have a college degree because you showed you could finish what you start. Right. Yeah, and go to class and do you know and and do some of those things. Um, do we have time to take one more quick call? Quick, quick, quick. Yeah, let's get uh, Alex in Overland Park in next. Hey, Alex. Hey guys, um, thanks for taking my call. Sure. So I'm the one who mentioned the patriotism and sent the two articles like supporting that position. But the bigger thing is, I think, is I have three kids. They're all Gen Z. And it's not that they don't love America. So don't think that loving American patriotism are the same thing. It, it can be in some ways, obviously. But these kids see things globally. 
And so this generation in particular, uh, and maybe the millennials too, see the military as being more aggressive to, uh, as occupiers and a different way. Now, I'm not saying I agree with that. My father was in the Navy. I'm very, like, pro-military. But this generation sees things a lot differently, okay. and I think that does have something to do with their recruiting. Well, Alex, you got the last word on it. Thank you for mm-hmm. making the phone call. Thanks, everybody, for getting in here. Uh, all right, coming up in the next hour, why do we still have boys wearing shorts when it's below freezing outside? We'll get to that and a lot more coming up in the next hour here on KMBZ. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.